reach for the sky. It's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A Medicare podcast that always wears galoshes when it rains. And now, shining example to he-men everywhere, Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us at the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. We're very happy to have you with us today, and we're happy to have you with us every time that we podcast, and that's going to be three times a week for how many weeks? So that's going to be all the weeks that you have left to live, or at least all the weeks that I have left to live. So uh, it is uh, uh, a Medicare day in the neighborhood, and that's why we're here. I'm here to help people feel pretty good about that coming transition from Obamacare to Medicare. I believe in in most cases it's going to be a positive change because Congress hasn't screwed up Medicare yet like they have with uh, insurance for those who are younger than age 65, otherwise known as Obamacare. So if they don't ever screw up Medicare, then you're going to live a happy, long life that is protected at a reasonable cost from the vagaries of outrageously expensive medical treatment. That's what Medicare is all about. If you need medical treatment and uh, you are fully uh, insured by Medicare and some of the additional coverages that I recommend to fully protect you, then you're not going to have a problem if you get sick or if you get hurt. If you could be run over by a herd of elephants and survive and find yourself racking up huge medical bills, but Medicare will protect you from the effects of those medical bills. So eventually you'll walk out of the hospital or limp out of the hospital, a new person with uh, your finances intact. Anyway, the way that I convey a lot of the confidence in Medicare and the knowledge in about Medicare that people like to uh, learn about is through my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. If you go to Amazon.com, you'll find right now three editions of that book. You'll find the uh, Kindle version or ebook, which is the least expensive at about $3.80. You'll find the paperback version, which is by far the, the uh, version that most people buy. And that's about $8. And it has the orange 2023 splashed across the cover. So you know that you're getting the most current edition. And then if you've got somebody in mind, a friend, a neighbor, a relative who is approaching Medicare age, you might want to give them a more permanent uh, symbol of your love and affection by buying the hardcover book, which has beautiful, colorful illustrations inside. That's a $22 item, but what better way to show your friend or relative how much you like them and how how much you want their future with Medicare to uh, to be happy and bright. So the hardcover book, $22, the paperback book, $8, and the Kindle or ebook is $3.80. Coming soon, uh, 
is going to be the Audible book, and I swear I don't know what they price that at, but let's suppose that you don't want to go to Amazon.com. Let's suppose that you just, you've had a bad experience when you've been shopping at Amazon. Maybe you got one of those carts with the wheel that turns sideways, and it's just irritating as all heck. Well, I would suggest that you go to Barnes & Noble. You're going to find the paperback book at Barnes & Noble for a relatively benign $9 with the colorful illustrations. And that would be my suggestion for those of you who just don't like going to the Amazon store. So having said all of that, I generally run out of steam at this point in the podcast episode. And I turn to Randy Carson, podcast engineer par excellence for his view on things. How are things looking today, Randy? They're looking great. Now, obviously, I could whine a little bit, but it's not going to be much back to the people in the Midwest because, as you know, I, I was somewhat mistaken that, you know, the the weather event of the century back in the Midwest, I mistakenly thought that was going to be a big blizzard, and, and it was many places. But where I'm originally from, back in the panhandle of Nebraska, it wasn't so much the snow as it was the temperature. It, the the actuals, okay, now, if you know the difference between actuals and windshield, the actuals were 19 below, and the felt-like or the windshield was 42 below. So it was a real sunny day back in Nebraska. Well, I'll tell you something about wind chill. I have no respect for the people that use that as a measure of temperature, a measure of discomfort, because in my view, you have to be naked for the wind chill to be uh, fully uh, impacted as advertised. I don't go around naked in the snow in the wintertime or, you know, very often anywhere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I'll, what is what is that blue guy? Running through the snow. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> Does he know what the wind chill factor is? <laughs> no, no, the wind chill is going to get him, not that 19 below. <laughs> yeah, so, and frankly, Mary was looking at me like, what are what is wrong with these people on the uh, the TNV? Because they are just, oh, God, it's going to, we're all going to die, and everybody in the United States is going to be frozen to death and buried in snow and all that stuff. In Chicago, it was nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, my understanding is that a few people died in Buffalo, but they should have known better. They got caught in a blizzard situation and froze to death in their cars. I don't like hearing that, but it's nothing that Buffalo hasn't encountered every, pretty much every year since forever. So, well, you I'm know, not... it, it's interesting. You mentioned Buffalo because I know, you know, everybody knows that if you want some serious weather, some serious snow, some serious cold, some serious anything, go to Buffalo. So why does anybody want to live in Buffalo? Yeah, but why are they surprised when, when it's, well, you know, they get five feet of snow? It oh, happens every where, year. Where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, this, this white stuff, I've never seen this before. So, uh, frankly, I think they made a whole lot of big deal about the weather uh, over the winter or the uh, Christmas week than uh, it deserved. That's my thought anyway. And uh, it's, it's uh, rare but refreshing that I was joined in that opinion by the spousal unit. And so uh, that's my statement. So I got a question for you. Ask away. I, it, it's what is the actual, what was the actual lowest temperature that you personally have ever experienced? 27, 27, 27 below. 27 yeah. below. Yep. Yep. 
and it was on New Year's Eve, and I'm going to say around 1978-ish or thereabouts. It was uh, we were at a party at a friend's house, and <laughs> one of my friends, and I'm going to say that in in the politically correct sense because they are <laughs> on the opposite end of the political spectrum, and so since they were all freaked out about rising gasoline prices at the time when Oldsmobile came out with a really poorly designed model that had a bad uh, diesel engine in it uh, in the late 70s. Yeah. They just took a gasoline engine and said, let's run diesel through it, and that'll last forever. It'll be great. People will buy (laughs) it like crazy. Yeah, that'll that'll last. Well, of course, if you're not used to diesels, you yeah. know that you can't put summer diesel in a winter car. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what this guy knew. Probably not much. But anyway, so he went out and bought one of these diesel Oldsmobiles. And uh, when it came to that 27 degree below zero New Year's Eve, uh, we all left the party at about the same time. Our 76 Olds Cutlass Salon uh, ran like a champ. And as we were driving through town, I saw a blue four-door Oldsmobile diesel pulled off <laughs> to the side of the road. <laughs> Wonder who that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it turns out their fuel had turned to jelly. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, so they didn't really expect that. It didn't understand it. And so the host of the party got in his, uh, he had some kind of Japanese piece of garbage. He just drove it to the train station, but it was the next one in the driveway. And so he drove down, picked them up and drove them out to their house way out in the country and then came back to his house. And, oh boy, I can't wait to go in and go to bed. You know, it was by then it was probably two o'clock in the morning and uh, he turned off his car and it, <laughs> the ignition switch had not warmed up in the car and uh, it wouldn't turn the car off. And so he left his car running in the driveway all night. And so you say that was a Japanese make. Yes, it was. Yeah, they, not, well, at least it stopped, it stopped working while it was running. Normally those would stop working while yeah. they were running. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, he couldn't wait to get rid of that thing and get something good. So he wound up filling up his driveway with Jeep products uh, after that and and Chevy uh, Blazers and stuff like that. So not a bad, not a bad idea, Doug. No, that's uh, an idea. Uh, he probably got it from me. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the way things worked out for him. Oh, I've got to start my clock. How else am I going to know when we're out of time? So uh, well, we we never much pay attention to that, but <laughs> well, shh, don't tell everybody. Shh. My God, that's one that's one of our podcasting secrets. Alrighty, well, let me get to work here and let's see how far we can plow through the podcast content that I have lined up for today. Uh, I'm still working on the uh, page one, <laughs> the the uh, list of subjects that I was going to address in the last episode. I didn't get through that whole list, so let me plow through a little bit farther and see how far I get today. I've got a news release, important news release from the Louisiana Department of Insurance. I think that the guy who is the Louisiana director of insurance, uh, whose picture is splashed on the front of this this uh, letter, is uh, probably planning to run for governor. I think he's uh, seeking a higher office because it's just like when you drive to uh, 
uh, O'Hare airport in Chicago and you, you pick up your passengers. And then as you leave the airport, there's a big sign that tells you the mayor of Chicago welcomes you. And that mayor gets her name put on every damn sign she can find. Well, this guy puts his name and his picture on every piece of correspondence that he can think of. So I'll bet we'll see him running for governor of Louisiana at some point, but on this particular thing, it's Louisiana Department of Insurance offers holiday and extreme weather tips for policyholders. Normally, his uh, correspondence is addressed to insurance types, people who have licenses, people that uh, are under the purview of the Louisiana Department of Insurance, uh, people like me that have a non-resident agent's license in Louisiana. Normally, this stuff is addressed to us, telling us about laws they've passed that have uh, an effect on licensed people. But in this case, He's writing directly to the voters of Louisiana and it's extreme weather tips. Well, I got to tell you, it's Louisiana. I don't know how much extreme weather they typically get unless it's a, an occasional hurricane that comes ashore. But I found one little paragraph in this thing. Interesting. It says when traveling for the holidays, review your health insurance policy for in network providers that are covered in your destination city such as doctors, pharmacies, urgent care centers, and hospitals. If you visit an out-of-network provider, expect to pay more for treatment and medication. Well, he did not specify that this advice is only directed at those people who have the unfortunate choice of Medicare Advantage plans. Those are the people that have to use a list of providers. Randy, I see your your arm is in the air. I, I was wondering, Doug, now you've already touched on it, but when you began reading that uh, editorial there, I began to think we were talking about Medicare Scam Vantage. Medicare Scam Vantage, you're exactly right, sir. Ding, 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 ding. If I had a bell, I would be ringing it to celebrate your correctness. <laughs> um, Medicare supplement plans, the only plan that Randy and I recommend is uh, going to have no uh, list of doctors and hospitals that you have to adhere to. And I think the lesson here is that if you have a Medicare Scam Vantage plan, and uh, it is typical of most of those plans, when you leave town, you have left your network of doctors and hospitals wherein your medical bills would be paid if you needed treatment. So you can't expect to have the same sort of financial arrangement in a distant city that you might go vacation in that you have in your home city. Uh, and if, if it's an emergency, I have seen this many, many times, ladies and gentlemen, they promise, oh yeah, if it's an emergency, we're going to make sure that you have no charge. We'll treat you free of charge, no matter where your, your plan is located. Well, unfortunately, the reality of the fact is that they will fight that at the end of the day, as much as they can, not every time, not always, but often enough that people who have had a medical emergency racked up a bill that in their out of network and they expect their plan to pay it because it was an emergency. Um, they'll have an unpleasant surprise when it comes time to uh, tell that insurance company to stand up for their promise. And uh, it's an unpleasant uh, fact of life occasionally. So <clears throat> boy, here's a good thing, Randy, my cough button is working like a champ. I can tell because you're not, you're not making uh, funny noises and faces at me. So 
Uh, anyway, the next item to address on this uh, day of uh, catching up is going to be entitled Republicans Re- Republicans Push the CDC. That's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They haven't put the P on the end of this yet. They pushed the CDC to reinstate defensive gun use data after gun control activists had it removed from the site. So what's happened here? I'm not going to read all of this, I don't think, but the CDC used to uh, itemize, used to keep track of the number of gunshot wounds that were incurred uh, in a situation where a person with a gun defended themselves against bad guys. And I believe that that statistic was maintained uh, regularly, and it uh, apparently the CDC has bowed to political pressure from the left, and they have now removed the tally of gunshot incidents that were incurred when people defended themselves with their legally owned guns against malfeasance. And so that's my understanding from this, uh, you know, creeping liberalism. Uh, the reason people own guns is for self-defense. When those guns are used for self-defense in a legitimate way, uh, it's certainly legitimate to keep track of that. But I think the CDC wants to cater to the left and um, indicate that the only time guns are used is to rob or kill people or to commit suicide and other unauthorized uses. And I don't think it's right to uh, uh, pick and choose your statistics that way. Uh, So Randy and I are uh, both uh, firmly on the side of the Second Amendment to the Constitution, and so I don't like to see that adulterated in my country. So just a word to the uh, to the wise, no, a word to the uh, to the people who find the Second Amendment an important uh, thing. Keep an eye on the CDC. Those are the guys that tried to make everybody wear masks uh, forever and ever, and they may still be working on that. I don't think they've dropped that idea completely. If they can get everybody to wear masks all day, every day, that's what they're going to do. Now, there's dementia. Many, many families have uh, Alzheimer's and other types of dementia occurring. And in fact, I believe we're told that the um, one of the greatest factors in predicting whether or not somebody can have dementia is the fact that a relative, I think a sibling is the closest, a parent or a sibling, uh, having dementia would be a good indicator that the person in question could have a higher incidence of, of possibility of dementia occurring at some point. So um, I, <laughs> my grandmother, who was hell on wheels, and her sister, who was much more laid back, they're both Southern Bells, but uh, they got Alzheimer's at about the same time, but they were affected differently. My grandmother was just uh, large and in charge and ordered everybody around. And, I'm not going to do what you say, and I'm going to fly back to Arizona uh, and blah, 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 blah. Her sister, all you'd have to do is put her in a chair and she would sit there and smile and say, isn't it a beautiful day? Isn't it a beautiful day? Isn't it a beautiful day? 
And uh, that would be what you would hear from her all day long with a pleasant smile. And she was uh, the total opposite. The way the Alzheimer's affected her was totally the opposite of my grandmother. So those two sisters had an interesting relationship. Um, And I noticed uh, Mary's mother who got Alzheimer's in the early 70s. Uh, and it just lasted for like 10 or 12 years. She had been mentally very active prior to that. And a lot of people say, boy, you know, you keep your brain occupied. You're probably going to ward off that Alzheimer's thing. Well, she used to do a lot of reading and a lot of um, crossword puzzles and things like that. And word jumbles and, and all kinds of um puzzles that theoretically would keep her brain active. Well, here's a little article. It says, can a hobby keep dementia at bay? Experts weigh in. Now, remember, Mary's mother got Alzheimer's in the worst way. She was massively, um, massively uh, uh, incapacitated. And I think she spent about eight years just in a, a coma almost. And then she came out of that coma the day she died. And she said two sentences. One was about the weather. I forget what the other sentence was. And then she died. So let me move on with this article. To many, the word hobby signifies some lightweight uh, or trivial activity. Yet taking on a new hobby as one ages might provide an important defense against dementia, some experts say. So there isn't 100% uh, agreement on this. About almost 6 million adults over age 65 in the United States live with Alzheimer's disease or other dementia disorders. The other dementia that I heard most about, and I think my mother had this, was vascular dementia. And it doesn't seem as serious. And my mother came in and out of it. So that's something to think about, too, not just Alzheimer's. According to the CDC, Ooh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They added the prevention onto this. One in nine Americans over 65 has Alzheimer's, according to the Alzheimer's Association. And although the rate of dementia may be falling thanks to lifestyle changes, more of us are living longer, which means the societal burden of dementia is rising. So uh, this uh, adult and geriatric psychiatrist and director of Pacific Brain Health Center in Santa Monica suggests that we use the word pursuit instead of hobby, as it elevates the concept of an activity to something demanding, something requiring um, concentration or collaboration, something we ought to chase down. Activities that demand focused and industry are the whetstone to keeping cognition sharp. Our brains, he continues, are like any other part of the body. Use it or lose it is not just a hypothesis. It's a basic biologic fact that holds as true for our brains as for our muscles or our bones. And so the article goes on with a little headline uh, paragraph uh, starter that says, Stump Yourself. Randy's always stumping me. And I got to say, it's a, <laughs> it's a little more painful than one would think. It sounds like a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, if one is to stump oneself where there is yet no surefire way to prevent dementia or cure it, uh, the Lancet, which is a medical journal in 2020, identified 12 potentially modifiable risk factors for the condition, for the condition of Alzheimer's dementia. They include physiological, which is blood pressure, diabetes, hearing loss, 
lifestyle choices, smoking, drinking, physical activity, environmental, that's air pollution, depression or social isolation, and a lower level of education. The Alzheimer's Society of Canada is also clear about what we can do to help minimize our dementia risk. Keep cognitively engaged. Learn new things. Meet new people. Keep a diary. Remain curious and engaged in conversations. A potential connection between dementia and air pollution, they say here. While the loss of muscle is a visual thing, taut thighs grow flaccid, flat stomachs soft, and the health of our skeleton can be measured using bone density scans, uh, this Merrill guy says. It is only recently that we were aware of the same reality uh, being very evident in our brains. Uh, disuse atrophy applies to sedentary muscles in the same way as it does the cognitive decline seen in dementia. Brain imaging illustrates this point. Learning and engagement contribute toward building not just a psychological lift, but also a physiologic lift in the preservation of brain volumes and preventing that atrophy or shrinking of memory centers. In much the same way, physical exercise keeps our visible muscles well-defined, this guy adds. The Alzheimer's Association says we need to stump ourselves by challenging our brains, mental flexing and strength, and that often means doing something we aren't used to doing. That's something new. We do this naturally in our youth, but when we hit midlife, we are inclined to slow down and be less social, less active, less inclined to stretch ourselves mentally. Discard the stereotypes, the article says. In her book, Breaking the Age Code, how your beliefs about aging determine how long and how well you live. Oh, that's quite a title there. Must be a big book to fit all those words on it. So a woman named Becca Levy, who wrote that book, a professor of physiology, no, psychology, and epidemiology at Yale uh, University, argues that individuals and society speed up aging by reinforcing stereotypes about senior moments. First among those images, the false age stereotype that the older, I, uh, the old, that older, I have trouble learning new information. Yeah. Poorly constructed sentence. She writes, the fact is, there are many positive cognitive changes in older age, and there are many techniques to support lifelong learning. Older persons can benefit from the same memory strategies that young persons use to improve recall. In fact, our brains experience new growth of neurons in response to challenges throughout our lifespan. The problem is thinking you're old or accepting the ageism that society thrusts upon you becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, so you're less likely to try new things. Then you're only failing to exercise your brain, but also developing a habit of giving up. And so here's a little thing that says, is my memory going or is it just normal aging? According to Gallup, the average age of retirement in the United States is 61 The Pew Research Center reports that just over half of Americans over age 55 had retired by the third quarter of 2021. A statistical, uh, or a statistic exacerbated by the pandemic, the panic, I call it, and one that will rise as a generation of baby boomers hurdles towards pension age. The average life expectancy is 76 years. 
<clears throat> but while getting older. Now, you know something, that average life expectancy is measured from birth. If you're 75 years old, your life expectancy is not one year. It is, you know, like 10 years because the average life expectancy is figured from birth. So anyway, but while getting older is, one hopes, a given, dementia is not. Uh, research indicates that mentally challenging activities can have both short and long-term benefits for the brain. And a hobby, something new that we introduce to our lives as the demands of employment recede, is an excellent way to challenge oneself and possibly set off a cascade of positive changes. Imagine, on retirement, you decide to take up dancing lessons. <laughs> well, I hope nobody suggests that to my wife. Ultimately, you're not just benefiting from the cognitive challenge, learning new steps. You're also likely more socially engaged and more active. And because you're more active, you may think about your diet. So before you know it, you've embraced a number of important lifestyle changes. She directs me to the Alzheimer's Association Education Program, Healthy Living for Your Brain and Body, Tips from the Latest Research. Uh, let's see, an associate professor of the School of Interactive Arts of Technology, Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, no relation to Monica Moreno, agrees that remaining mentally agile is important, so important that it might carry more weight in protecting you from dementia than your genetics or your current cognitive skills. What about learning something in retirement? You're never too old to improve cognitive function. So I'm going to go down to the last paragraph of this article. We think of these healthy activities as a savings account for the brain. Begin building that cognitive reserve now so the money is in the bank for down the road if our brains need it. Hmm. Well, I hope that works for me because I'm dealing with mental problems every day. And uh, in fact, I was chastised for uh, not having more free time to spend with the spousal unit, but I am not uh, not ready to give up the ghost and surrender. I just uh, found a, a new client who is uh, being ill-served by her former uh, broker, <clears throat> brokerage firm. And so I am doing good for human human beings, and I'm going to continue that as long as I can. So with my nose running and my cough, my throat itching, I'm going to push my cough button and let Randy expound on this for a while. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're not going to give up the ghost because I'm not ready to give up the ghost yet either. And my family is very long lived. So I think we're in this together for quite a while yet. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad. But to hear I have that. something. I have something. I'm glad you brought this up today, Doug. You said stump yourself okay well you know what that brought up in my mind oh, boy. <laughs> oh stump the insurance man stump the insurance expert and i just yeah. happen to have something on hand all right lay it on me uh, so are you ready to go yes sir all right take a deep breath because this is a tough one okay okay and on today's date december 29th and eight 1845 what happened uh you know i'd be tempted to say that this was the donner party uh they found out that humans were pretty tasty eaten and uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh decided to have a little feast uh 1845 though the oh does it have anything to do with the alamo 
It sure does. Oh, boy. It came to me. I guess my brain's still sort of functioning, sort of. What happened on this day in 1845, what was the great state of Texas, was accepted into the Union. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's peripheral that the Alamo it, was involved. It, yeah, it's peripheral to the Alamo, but bottom line is this is the day that the great state of Texas became part of the United States. And I could certainly, you know, give you the details of that, but I have one more bonus question now okay. that you know what it's based on. All right, lay it on me. Okay, so let me read a little bit of a little bit of a lead up to it, so you've got a half a chance of uh, you know answering this question. Yeah, half a chance is more than I normally get. <laughs> the, the Texas Volunteers initially suffered defeat against the forces of the Mexican government, General Santa Ana, and the Alamo fell, and Sam Houston's troops were forced into an eastward retreat. However, in late some particular month, Houston's troops surprised a Mexican force at San Jacinto and Santa Ana was captured, bringing an end to the Mexican efforts to subdue Texas. So the question is, is what month did that happen? I'm going to say March. You're damn close. Oh, excuse my French. <laughs> damn close. April. It oh, happened in okay. April that the Houston's troops turned back around on Santa Ana and captured him and turned him into, I don't know, maybe a jail somewhere, but I, I hope they didn't kill him off, but I don't know. I don't really don't know history that well. No, Santa Ana became the president of Mexico at least once, if not more than once. Uh, and I believe several times after uh, they lost Texas. So, I during the or right after the Battle of San Jacinto, that battle, if you look it up, lasted about 15 minutes. It was incredibly <laughs> fast. And it was, I think, a large part of the loss of the Mexicans was the fact that it was siesta time. <laughs> so oh. they were taking a little snooze. We don't we don't fight in the afternoon, do we? No, no. no. Uh -uh. And so anyway, I believe San Ana was able to escape the battlefield. And I believe somebody found him dressed as a lady uh, down the road. Oh, a piece when they we don't want it. We don't want to talk about that part of his life. No, let's say it was temporary. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was temporary because uh, he had uh, he was surrounded by a bunch of ladies. Um, so anyway, when Texas entered the Union, it was nine years later in uh, 18. Actually, 1836 was the Alamo. 1845 was the state of the, it was uh, joining the Union. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, 1837, I guess, was the Battle of San Jacinto when Texas gained its independence. And then, of course, it went for almost nine years as a an independent nation before joining the United States of America. Yep. You got it. You did very well today on Stump the Insurance Expert mm. uh, because it has nothing to do with insurance, which is why I love stumping you. But you're so darn good at history. I have a hard time. Well, I can tap dance my way out of a tight situation, which in this case was forgetting that the Alamo occurred nine years before statehood. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's one more thing, and this is just a side comment. I wish that the CDC would not quit publishing the information about lead poisoning on their site. 
Yeah, because the people that are getting lead poisoning uh, in the category that they're dropping is uh, a class of people that deserves to get lead poisoning in many yes. uh, situations. Yes. I'm hoping yeah. that Republican pressure will keep them on the straight and narrow. Well, I do, too. I do, too, because, you know, well, we won't go there because it'll just get us both wired up. But anyway, yep. we have we have overstayed. Well, I don't know if we overstayed our welcome, but we certainly used up our uh, our nickel here. Well, I started my couple- clock late, so it looks like we have a half an hour to go. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we put a couple quarters in the jukebox, and we need we're we're basically out of money now. So, but there's a couple things. I always mention that Doug loves to get email at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Check out the website at medicareforthelazyman.com. We talked about the books. We talked about the audio. We talked about the Kindle. But also, if you would kindly find someplace to give us a five-star rating on our podcast, we would thoroughly enjoy that because it helps us in all the ratings and Lord knows ratings are all about what we're about. Right, Doug? Yes, sir. That is correct. (laughs) So anyway, we have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma originally. No more. He's living in his fortress of solitude and adding to it, by the way. I'll tell you about that in another podcast. But he's living in his fortress of solitude in the high altitudes behind Cave Creek, Arizona. And bottom line is he's watching out after everybody from there with his army issue binoculars. (laughs) Bye bye, everyone.